This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. The Gospel of Matthew turned the understanding of the Gospels upside down, but it was just the beginning. Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson detail an exciting new initiative that will expand your understanding of the Scriptures more than you ever thought possible. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live! Well, Shabbat Shalom Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson are at it again. Some really neat things on the way from these two that we'll, uh, we'll preview tonight. Uh, it's on the final episode of Manuscript Mysteries here on Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. But first, let's see where we are on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. It's the fourth and final Shabbat on the fifth month, better known as the month of Av, but it is the first weekend, first weekend of the month in August, uh, so we have a few things to talk about with my co-host, the Chief Operating Officer of Arud Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Scott, thanks for having me on this week. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to see Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon here back again, doing what they do best, teaching the Word of God. Indeed, I love the the collaboration these two have because, of course, Nehemia being a Karaite Jew, yes. uh, admitted uh, not a believer in Yeshua. Nope. That's okay, he's got yeah. lots of great information. And Keith Johnson, uh, who was a Methodist pastor, I believe, yes. right? Yes, yes. So yes. he knows the uh, the gospel Christian side of things, and now he's learned Hebrew from Nehemia, and right. so the two of them together can get together and talk about these uh, Hebrew scrolls of the New Testament, which yes. until now have largely just been in the basement of the Vatican. No one knew what to do with them, and together it's they fabulous. are now exposing what is in there? Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you're not gonna to wanna to go anywhere. And in just a moment, Michael's gonna do the Kiddush for us as well. So don't go anywhere. This is gonna be a great Shabbat. Indeed, so uh, speaking of Michael now, uh, you've seen Michael probably more oh, yeah. often than any of us here. Uh, you and, and your wife uh, go over to see him quite often and look after him and Elil yeah. and do yeah. some favors for them, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, so how is Michael doing? That's a big question. Michael, ladies and gentlemen, Michael is doing fantastic. It's, once again, as I always say, uh, recovering from a stroke is a marathon. It's it, it's it, it takes a while to do that. But ladies and gentlemen, when I went over to see Michael last, he said, hey, Ted, come on, let's go do a swim. So he was going to go <laughs> do a swim over at uh, their community pool. And he has a therapist that does swimming therapy uh, with him to re-strengthen his muscles again. And folks, let's just keep Michael in prayer. You know, this has really been a hard road for Michael and Anna Lil, but I promise you he is working hard. He wanted me to tell you how much he loves each and every one of you, and he is just working, working, working to be back here with us again. And I know uh, one of the things we find very endearing when Michael is here is uh, if he was looking for his wife, Anna Lil, yeah. and he was in his office, <laughs> he just, <laughs> just read, Anna Lil! Anna Lil. <laughs> and now I hear that last time you went over there, he was actually doing that in his house. He so. was, he was. <laughs> That's great. I, I walked in and we were uh, talking with Anna Lil. Next thing you know, I'm hearing out of the back, Anna Lil! <laughs> 
And it was just so, <laughs> it was so endearing to hear that again from him because it's been so long since we've heard that from Michael. Michael's humor is still the Michael Rude humor and yeah. he still has that as well. So we're just, we, we just want to let you know, Michael, we love you. We're praying for you and we look forward for you being back real soon. Absolutely. Now, in the meantime, Ted, there's something in the August newsletter that folks have just gotten in their mailbox. Uh, they may have seen something about ham radio and like, where did this come from? You're the ham radio guy here. So tell I us what this is. I am. I do a lot of ham radio, folks. And uh, I am an amateur extra uh, with the uh, ham radio or amateur radio, as some people call it. And we have now decided, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do a special net for all of you ham radio messianics out there. We're going to have something called the messianic net. And it's going to be every Tuesday night uh, at 8 p.m. on 80 meters. Now, here's the frequency. So just be prepared to write this frequency down. It's going to be 03922. So it's going to be on 03922 at 8 p.m. Uh, I'm going to host, uh, I'm going to be your net controller, as it were. And we're going to do a net every Tuesday night. And who knows, maybe you'll even hear something from Michael uh, during those nets as well. So join us 8 p.m. Tuesday night, 80 meters on 03922. And this is K4TLC signing off. <laughs> okay. So now, uh, you know, in the midst of having a lot of uh, censorship with YouTube and, and you know Facebook and all the regulars. Yeah. Uh, we, you know we have chat rooms and other places like Discord now and uh, play, other places like uh, Telegram and things like that. Sure. that Chris Clark handles for us. Oh yes. This is just another avenue of that, isn't it? That well, ham it, go, radio. it goes further than that, ladies and gentlemen. We know that one day, uh, ham radio operators have a saying: when all else fails, ham radio works. And um, me being part of the Katrina. Uh, stuff that happened down in New Orleans. I can tell you, Scott, that ham radio was the only mode of communication that actually worked even with the police departments down mm. there in the beginning because all other modes of communication were cut off. And so w Michael understands the importance of amateur radio. Matter of fact, he has been really wanting to do this for a couple of years now, but uh, we finally got ourselves in the position uh, now that I'm an amateur extra, that uh, we can actually do that and go on the air and have this net. So if you're a general licensed amateur radio operator or an extra licensed amateur radio operator, we really invite you to come and be a part of this very special messianic net starting this week. Okay. So now when you say all else fails, so we're talking about when things go down, because we know yeah. eventually things are going to go down in this country. Well, you know, it so, looks that way. So it really the, does. So if cell towers go down, if everything else goes down, you can't get TV, you could still hear the good news with Shabbat Night Live through ham radio? Is yes, that what we're saying? Yes, absolutely right. You absolutely can. Ladies and gentlemen, we are trying our best, as Michael always has. You know, Michael was one of the first ministries to go high def with television, and he loves talking about that because he was a visionary that saw the future and knew that the future was very, very important. So Michael is constantly, even today, he's constantly thinking about what is the next thing that we need to be prepared for? Mm. You know, some people call them preppers. Uh, some people call them uh, end time folks. Well, Michael's just looking ahead and saying, if all else fails, if all the other communications, television, cable, uh, all these streaming, all this fails, 
we can still talk to one another through ham radio. So that's why he wanted to do right. the Messianic Net. And no one can censor the message no, either, no, which is a no. very important thing these days. That's so, right. Excellent. Now, we have uh, a little bit of time yet let to talk, uh, one minute left, so we'll just uh, do something real brief here. We have a new love gift since it is beginning of the month, the image of the beast. This yep. is with Dr. Douglas Hamp. Dr. Doug is going to uh, join us next week mm -hmm. for a series based on this book right here, Corrupting the Image Part Two. Extremely important stuff. You're going to look at that thing next week and say, why are we talking about Satan? Because you need to know your enemy. Absolutely. You're going to defeat your enemy. You Absolutely. need to know it. I mean, what sports team goes into the locker room and does not you know, preview the tape of what their opponent is doing right. before they face them? This is what we need to be doing. So that's an extremely important love gift yes. uh, and some uh, complimentary information as well coming up next week on Shabbat Night Live for the remainder of August. So August is extremely important for knowing your enemy and uh, that's where we're going with this. So. Uh, get the love gift. Uh, you'll see some information on the commercial coming up in just a few seconds. Wonderful, Scott. Well, listen, folks, don't forget, now is the time. Get your love gift today with a donation of $50. You can get the teaching from Doug Hemp for a gift of $100. Mm -hmm. Which one of these do you get? You get, you the, get the shofar. The, you get the shofar. The horse shofar. Beautiful, beautiful. And for the $300 donation, you get this beautiful, beautiful scroll. Yes, a parchment of Isaiah 53 on there. You yes. get all three of them. And, and that right. donation helps us keep going here at Rood Awakening International. It helps us bring in important people like uh, Douglas Hamp, like last month you saw with Vera Sharaf, yes. with all the guests you see here on Shabbat Night Live. It only happens with your donations, and that's why we need you. So thank you. Thank you, Scott. And listen, we can't wait for Nehemiah and Keith. Let's get going to it. That's right. Okay, the Hebrew Matthew was just the beginning. Wait until you see what Nehemiah Gordon and Keith Johnson are doing. That's coming up next in the final episode of Manuscript Mysteries. See you in two minutes. What is it about being human that makes us so prideful? Where does it come from? Dr. Douglas Hamp reveals man's deception of pride that has been building since the Tower of Babel and how to escape the final deception, the image of the beast. I really see that the, the image of the beast is going to be where you're not only transformed genetically, biologically, but now your mind is part of a hive network. From transgenderism to transhumanism, Dr. Douglas Hamp reveals how man's arrogance challenges Yehovah's perfection and leads to destruction. But the only way to watch this special teaching is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Image of the Beast on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you The Image of the Beast plus a ram's horn shofar, the original call to worship in ancient Israel. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you the image of the beast, the ram's horn shofar, and a beautiful parchment scroll printed with Isaiah 53, complete with a handsome carrying case. These are special gifts from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends August 31st and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 
766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. There is a rabbinic tradition, even a takanot, a law which changed biblical law, that before one eats bread, one must wash their hand with the two-handled pot, a negelvesser, and say this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us to wash the hands. Nowhere in the scripture is this ever commanded. In fact, the rabbis will plainly say that we are the ones that made it up, and when you are obeying us, you're obeying God. Well, Yeshua said, do not follow the takanot of the Pharisees. Do not follow their man-made rules and regulations. But every time there is bread, every time we can remember what Yeshua said, what he put in place. And we can say the prayer, Baruchatah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Yeshua said, I am the bread brought forth in the earth. This represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, if it's every meal, if it's every Sabbath, you do it in remembrance of me, because by his stripes we were healed. And Yeshua took the cup, and he said, Baruchatah Yehovah, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pari Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood, the broken covenant in which we were offered to be priests and kings, Yeshua paid the price, he renewed the covenant with us and made us priests and kings. And so as often as we do this, we remember this and we reign as priests and kings now and will do so in the future with Yeshua for a thousand years in our resurrected body along with his resurrected body. And we do this in remembrance of him. Shalom. Yeshua told a lot of parables, we all know that, and one time he told a parable about a lost coin. This coin was lost and when it was found, the woman who found it rejoiced, told her neighbors, everyone rejoiced, oh, you found your coin. Now, the coin was never really lost, it was just misplaced, it was always there, it wasn't that, like it just disappeared. So what is it about the gospels that we're missing? Where are those lost coins that we can find and who can help them find us? Well, we're gonna introduce you to two gentlemen who can do that. Nehemiah Gordon, Keith Johnson, welcome. Shalom, Scott, it's Shalom. great to be here. And you guys are ta uh, talking about something, uh, that, uh, or rather starting a new project you have, uh, not really, relatively new, well, I guess well, called the Hebrew Gospel Pearls. We're continuing a project we've called the Hebrew Gospel Pearls. Yeah. We started it when, when the pandemic broke out and we were locked at home and we decided, you know what, we've, we've been talking about this for many, many years about eventually one day when we have time getting to this project and we decided to do it. And, and I'm really excited to be here to talk about it because it really started with Michael Rood coming to me and asking me a question about Matthew 23. And I looked at all the manuscripts I had available. I looked at all the Greek manuscripts I could, I could find that I had access to. 
and I didn't solve the problem that he had approached me with in Matthew 23. Then I looked at a Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew, preserved by Jewish rabbis through the Middle Ages, and it completely changed everything. Mm. There was a difference of one single letter in the Hebrew versus the Greek. And when I say the Greek, I mean if you translated the Greek back into Hebrew, it would translate one way. And when you looked at the Hebrew Matthew preserved by these Jewish rabbis, it read something slightly different, difference of one single letter that changed this from a contradiction between Matthew 15 and Matthew 23, and, and in some respect, between everything Yeshua taught in Matthew 23. Really? That one single letter made everything fall into place and, and brought coherence to his message. And I ended up writing a book about it, uh, The Hebrew Yeshua versus the Greek Jesus. Ah, we know that one, um, yes. You know, I wrote this book now over 15 years ago, and it's still the, the best-selling book of everything, anything I've ever written. Hmm. It's been translated into more languages than all of my other books combined. It's been translated into Spanish, traditional Chinese, uh, Serbo-Croatian, Icelandic, <laughs> Urdu, Korean, Lithuanian. The video was translated into Russian. And the reason that it's been translated into all these languages is, is it really unlocks some really important things in Yeshua's teaching, and all that based on one single letter. One, it's the, the single letter that, that brought everything into line. I can't say it changed his message, because this was his message all along, and everywhere else in the Gospels you read it had a certain message, and then Matthew 23 was like that, uh, you know, wrench you throw into the gears, and, and they all get ground up, and you're like, what is Matthew 23 doing? And in the Hebrew Matthew, it made perfect sense. So what Keith and I decided to do is to look for those, as you call them, the lost coins. We call them the pearls, Hebrew gospel mm -hmm. pearls. There are these little nuggets, these little pearls. It's not to replace the Greek. It's not to throw out the Greek. It's to say there's another witness. Scholars talk about it as textual witnesses. We have another witness, which is the Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew. What can we learn about the original message of Yeshua from that? And I'm coming at this as a textual scholar. Keith is now a former Methodist pastor um, coming from the Christian background, and, and we're coming at it from these two different perspectives and saying, what is it that Yeshua taught in the first century based on the Greek and comparing that with the Hebrew? Hmm, interesting stuff. So now we've talked about this. Well, Michael and you and Keith have talked yeah, about this before, right on this stage, on this stage. Uh, yeah. But what is different now? Because you're starting to get into some new things and there's yeah. some exciting new stuff coming up. Uh, so tell us about yeah. what's going on here. So I'll give Keith, Keith, well, uh, Keith a chance. Can I get the cat out of the bag, Scott? <laughs> I, I don't know. Do we, no, do, don't do we dare? <laughs> don't do it. Let <laughs> me tell you why this changes uh, literally everything. And first of all, I want to uh, thank you all. Uh, thank Michael and uh, Root Awakening for inviting us back. We, we did in the beginning of uh, season one, we called it the launch of Hebrew Gospel Pearls. Michael did a great job of allowing us to talk about the background. And that's, uh, you know, you guys is... Um, a site that you know we basically I think we did that around Shavuot, if I'm if I'm thinking right. Yes, that's correct. Yep. In terms of what was happening, the background. So they can get all the background uh, at a rude awakening. But but something changed. And what changed is is that uh we we did season one and I think we did a really good job of season one. And then Nehemia gave me a phone call and he always does this, Scott. He he keeps raising the bar. So how did he raise the bar this time? He gives me a call and he says, Keith, I'm gonna do something that I've been wanting to do for years. I'm going to take the first section. What's the first section? People can open their Bibles right now to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And that's the famous uh, Sermon on the Mount where he talks about the Beatitudes, the things that, uh, the, the, you know, blessed, the blessed, the blessed, the blessed. So Nehemia says to me, Keith, I'm going to do something radical. I said, what's that? And I got to be honest with you, Scott. When he told me this, I, I have not come down from my excitement. 
Basically, what he was going to do is he's going to take all the manuscripts that he had access to. There were 28, but there were 20 that had the section in it. And he went letter by letter looking at the manuscripts. He transcribed all of those 20 manuscripts for this one section, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. He calls me up. He says, OK, we're ready to do th this episode. Here's what happened. It's a cat out of the bag. We start the episode. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We get to Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, and, and we've already spent over an hour just talking about the significant things that have been found background-wise. We realize, Scott, that as a result of what Nehemiah has made available, I'm looking at this transcri transcription of all these 20 manuscripts. He's looking at it. We're now looking at the same information together because for decades he's had this in his vault. You understand? This has been <laughs> He's had this, these manuscripts in his vault. Hebrew gospel pearls have allowed him to bring what's in his vault, make it available. We're looking at it and everything changed. We decided at that point, we cannot rush through what I call the biblical beatitudes. We have gone verse by verse, beatitude by beatitude, looking at all the manuscripts and what we have found <laughs> is life-changing to me. Because I, here's, here's my big statement that's controversial. There's so many people who have an idea of Jesus. This is what they tell me about Jesus. But the words of Yeshua, language, history, and context are radical. This is why most pastors don't preach his words. And I got to tell you something. This, the, What we're looking at right now is it's, it's, it's life-changing. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah can give you some more background, but I had to get that in because it, it really has already changed my life. And I have been reading the Gospels for decades. Well, and, and just to, you know, the, so the, we did season one, which was Matthew chapters one through four. And a lot of what we did was historical background. You know, he comes to Capernaum. Where is mm -hmm. Capernaum? We found the synagogue of Capernaum, the archaeology. Uh, I don't think we got, even had time to even get to all, everything I wanted to bring. But a lot of it was historical background. Matthew five through seven is what they call the Sermon on the Mount. And the first 12 verses they call the Beatitudes from the Greek beati, which means blessed. And it's, you know, blessed is this group and blessed is this other people. And uh, there's a Hebrew context to all of that. Um, mm. th there's, there's, a, there's a movie they made years ago. And it was uh, sort of, um, it was a parody, but it wasn't. In some respects, it was being very, in some ways it was disrespectful. In other ways, it was trying to be respectful. And it has these people standing way in the back at the Sermon on the Mount. And they hear, and Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And one turns to another and says, cheesemakers? What's so special about cheesemakers? Why are they being blessed? And the other says, well, no, he doesn't mean cheesemakers per se. He means all professions who, who are artisans. And, 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 and they were, you know, it was a comedy, right? But it was actually kind of profound, mm. right? It reminds me of the Jewish joke about don't boil a kid in its mother's milk, where it mm -hmm. says three times, lo tevashel gediba chalevi mo, <laughs> and the rabbis say, why does it say it three times? Because it means three different things. Mm. That's actually what they say. That's not a joke. That's a fact. They say mm -hmm. it means don't eat meat and milk together. Well, who say anything about meat and milk? We said a kid in its mother's milk. Mm -hmm. But they say it's broader categories. Don't eat meat and milk together. Don't even cook them together. Don't benefit from them cooked together. Don't benefit means you can't even feed them to your dog. Mm -hmm. So the joke is Moses is up on Mount Sinai and God says, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. And Moses says, what did you mean by that? Oh, you mean if I'm gonna, I can't eat, eat milk together. And God says, Moses, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. What do you mean by that? Oh, you mean have separate dishes for meat and for milk, which is what Orthodox Jews do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Moses, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Oh, you mean after I eat meat, I have to wait six hours until I eat milk, which is what Orthodox Jews do. And finally, God says, ah, whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> and it's a joke, but, but there's something profound about these jokes that there were people standing there hearing Yeshua preach. And mm. then they, the disciples then went and they taught those things that he had preached and they recorded what, what, he, what he said. You know, Keith and I did a book together called The Prayer to Our Father, in which we looked for the place where Yeshua taught the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. And it was kind of obvious, right, Keith? I mean, <laughs> we know. And every tourist gets on a bus, they're loaded on the bus, and they're taken to the place called Mount of the Beatitudes. I mean, what more do you want? It's called Mount of the Beatitudes, right? <laughs> There's a Catholic church on the top of the of, of Oh, the well, mountain. that seals it right there. I well, mean, there's the vestments that Pope John Paul II, or wherever it was, wore, special vestments he wore just when he came to the, that particular church on that particular mountain. Obviously, that's the spot the whole world knows, except we looked into history, and we found that throughout history, that's a very late comer. That mm. doesn't show up until 1938 as the spot, uh, which is accepted, <laughs> at least, as where Yeshua, that's when the church was built, funded by Mussolini of all people. And oh, wow. um, <laughs> so uh, it's, a, it's kind of a Johnny come lately. So we went around to the five different spots that had been proposed throughout history where mm-hmm. Yeshua could have taught the Sermon on the Mount. Some of them didn't fit at all, right? It mm-hmm. was like a mountain where it's, you know, a thousand feet down. Okay, I mean, you know, that's not realistic. Um, unless he had a bullhorn. Um, <laughs> or, or if he was speaking with some supernatural voice which mm-hmm. you know, Christians can believe, but that's not what it says, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're left with uh, the most likely spot being what we, what's called the Horns of Hattin, where Keith and I have gone, and, and he went up to the top, and he uh, talked out to me like this, not even shouting, and I could hear him like hundreds of feet off. It was mm. really cool. It's like this natural amphitheater. Uh, but when we wrote the book, we sent it to um, a professor that, uh, or a scholar that Keith knew, let's put it that way, and... I, I, his response was, and this was a very learned man, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here. I'll let Keith tell the story. No, no, no. I mean, I think you, go ahead. It, it's, it's okay. <laughs> Here's what I remember from the story, and this was over 10 years ago, so I hope I'm getting this right. But what I remember is him saying, well, that's not where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. It's this other place. I have the, the souvenir that I bought in the gift shop there. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? No, he, it gets worse. Oh, it's he worse. He actually said, <laughs> well, there's a second half of it as well. Scholar. What's that? He said, actually, what he said, Scott, is he said, listen, uh, Jesus didn't teach the Sermon on the Mount at a place. Mm. Matthew did it in his library. Right, right. <laughs> well, and that was, huh. he said that as well. But remember, he yeah. had the, um, the, the rock from yeah. Tabka, Tabga yeah. or Tabcha, which is yeah. uh, where it's, you know, it's the traditional Catholic spot yeah. where they fed the five, where he fed the 5,000. And he said, well, that would have been the spot if anywhere. But in reality, he didn't really teach a sermon. Well, what do you mean he didn't teach a sermon? Well, there were different people who had followed him for decades or for however yeah. long it was. They'd followed him during his ministry a year, three and a half years. And years later, Matthew sat down or whoever sat down, some anonymous person, and collected these different traditions and mm-hmm. telescoped them into a single event. That's basically what he was saying, right? Yep. He was yeah. saying, come on, let's not be immature children. There wasn't actual an event called the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, even in the New Testament, it's not called the Sermon on the Mount, but sure. this, this event that's described in Matthew 5, 7 is a compilation of many different sermons he gave over, perhaps over years or months or weeks, and they were telescoped, it's called, into a single event. This is what the evangelical Christian scholar was telling the Jewish man 
Uh, and I'm like, well, I mean, if you don't believe it, well, let's, let's all go home. Like, what are we wasting? Like, what are you talking about? I, what I'm looking at is I'm trying to understand it in its historical context, Keith. Nehemiah was like, had the childlike faith. And this guy's like, no, you've got too much faith for that. <laughs> well, and, and I want to say, say something because yeah. if people don't know, uh, you, they might be listening to us for the first time and hearing about this. And they're like, are you going to, you know, I, I, I have to tell this story about my, my mother-in-law. She heard I was doing this project and she got very concerned. And she looked at me and she said, are, are, are you going to take away my, fir- my favorite verse? Ooh. I said, what do you mean? If you get to my favorite verse, if you and Nehemiah mess around with my favorite verse and pull the rug out from under me, I'm going to be very, very upset. <laughs> Look, and I have this image <laughs> of... Sorry, and what I was telling her, what I was telling her is, wouldn't you want to know if we could bring to you language history and context, especially if it's based on the Tanakh that Yeshua's you know, I mean, I, that's why I call it the biblical beatitudes. Just that one section. It's amazing, Scott, how much we find in what I call the big book that he's actually preaching. So I said to her, "I said, wouldn't you want to know if you knew language, history, and context that it matched?" She says, "Yes, if it doesn't mess with my tradition." <laughs> so you should know it. Yeah. And I got to say something. There's a lot of people, obviously, that, that do get nervous because they feel like we're we're touching the sacred cow. I, I, I went to a seminary that that, that that taught me that Greek is the uh, inspired language. I studied Greek. I went through all that. And it's been very, very helpful as we're now going through the Greek. But here's where this changes. This is where the game changes. If you go and you look at those manuscripts, there's many Jewish people, many Jewish scholars who could read them but don't really care about them. Mm. There's many Christian scholars who care about them, but can't read them. We found someone who has both. Nehemiah actually cares about it, and he can read it. And what he's done that's so phenomenal, and this is what Michael got him to do years ago, and now we're bringing it at an even larger level, he's now given access to that ability to read it and put it in a form so that we can share it with the world. And I'm going to tell you, the first season— how many people have listened and how many people have told us it's changed their life? It's been amazing. This particular section I'm excited about uh, because, again, we're getting a chance to slow down beatitude by beatitude. And I'm telling you, Scott, it's it's I, I can't even tell you. It's 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 just amazing. It's just literally amazing. You know, I, you do a lot of health stuff, Scott, mm-hmm. obviously. And, and I have this image of. Maybe your average Christian is standing there at the at the carnival and he's holding his cotton candy and he's eating it. And 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 in some ways, like this cotton candy is is what he thought the teachings of Jesus were. And you yes. come along with your health teaching and you whack it out of his hand and you say that cotton candy isn't healthy, and he's all upset. Don't take away my cotton candy. <laughs> and but instead of cotton candy, you can give him steak. You can yes. give him, or whatever you think the healthiest food is, avocado, right? You can give him some really healthy fats, um, things that will, that will nourish him. And, and he says, but I'll, I'll eat the avocado, but don't mess with my cotton candy. Mm. And you know, years ago, I heard this lecture from a, a scholar of New Testament studies, and he pointed out something that really struck me. And it, really, it stuck with me. It was profound. He, he mentioned the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is recited in many churches, it's accepted by, I think, most mainstream churches. And I'm not knocking the Nicene Creed. What we're coming to do is to fill in the blanks that aren't covered. So it yeah. goes like this. It's talking about the, Jesus. It says, He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. 
He suffered and was buried the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And this scholar years ago pointed out, what's missing from this? And you know, everyone's silent. I don't know what's missing. That's, that's the core of Christianity, isn't it? <laughs> but what's missing is everything from he was made human until he was crucified. Right. right? Yeah. Everything between those middle chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, is missing. And, and, if, and you know, I, I can't say what's going on in most churches, but I speak to a lot of Christians. And I, I remember speaking years ago to this one woman who uh, shared the story before who was a Christian who all she knew of Christianity, her, her Christianity was Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. Mm. And she told me in her church, the pastor doesn't bore us with the Bible, he tells us stories about life. And, mm. I, and I realized she doesn't know everything between he was made human and he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. You know, that's I mean, what Michael believes the same thing. Uh, you, I'm sure you guys are aware of that uh, new poster Michael's made called yes. The New Apostles' Creed. Okay, yeah, he, I'm not it's, it's, it's brilliant, and it says right in the yeah. middle of it, we believe, it almost looks like a declaration of independence type of thing, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it really is, and it's, it's all the stuff in between. Yeshua, <laughs> you know, he was born of a virgin, but he also did this, he also did that. Mm. He's mentioned from Genesis to Revelation. He, this is what he wants you yeah. to do. Da, 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 da. Well, this is how I live my life, this is what I believe. And it's meant for believers to put on their wall for people who come in their house and say, what do you believe? They can turn to it and say, that's what I believe, right there. Now, what I can't do, I'm, I'm coming as a Jew who's a textual scholar. I'm not telling people what to believe and what not to believe. You believe, so you work out for yourself in fear and trembling with prayer and study before the creator of the universe. If you have questions about doctrine, talk to your pastor, rabbi, or priest. Don't talk to me. What I can do as a textual scholar is say, okay, everything between those two events, he was made human, he was crucified, meaning the things he actually taught, I actually have some insight into that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we bring during our series which is, I, I'm so excited about it, is I have a second cousin five times removed who lived in the 1800s who wrote what is considered to be the first Jewish commentary on the New Testament. Wow. And we now have that book. It was written in Hebrew, <laughs> translated into French, and now it's been translated into English. I actually have the Hebrew original as well. And we're yes. uh, using that as an accompaniment to our series, The Hebrew Gospel Pearls, on NehemiahWall.com and Biblical Foundations Academy, BFAInternational.com. And it's just really exciting here. My perspective, Keith's perspective, uh, the perspective of this Jew who lived over 100 years ago and, and modern Jewish scholars as well, we're bringing, hearing many different voices. Amazing. Well, we're gonna get more into this in just a second. So Keith, hey, hang on to that thought. I know you wanted to say something, so let's hang on. Uh, we're just gonna give our folks here just a couple of minutes because you know to bring Nehemi in, to bring Keith in, uh, it, it costs funds. That's just the way the world works. That's what we have to do, and it's to you. We want to say thank you because you make this show possible. You make Shabbat Night Live possible. There are no corporate sponsors or anything like that. So we want to thank you for making this possible, and do me a favor. Would you make this possible for other folks to watch in the future, whether they see it on YouTube or wherever, if they decide to get the, the DVD or they, they get it from you or wherever? We need to make that possible now into the future. So we're gonna give you a couple of minutes to think about it, pray about it, a couple of minutes here to donate to this ministry and to thank these guys for coming here because we'd like to bless them as they go to their next destination. Thanks. And thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. You make it possible for us to bring in Nehemia Gordon, Keith Johnson, and Keith, before the break, we were talking about how all of us in this room and Michael Rood all agree that there's a lot more to the Nicene Creed than what is originally written. That's why Michael wrote his own version of it and kind of filled in some of the blanks. And that's what you guys are doing with Hebrew gospel pearls. And uh, Keith, you were getting ready to say something just before the break. What were you wanting well, to offer it's here? Interesting. It's interesting. In 1987, I took my first tour to Israel. And I, I remember on the last day of the tour, 
that I decided that I wanted to, they gave us free time. So you could go and actually, you know, uh, walk to these different places. And I remember I decided I wanted to go from Gethsemane where, you know, he would have prayed that prayer. And I walked through the old city and did all these things. And at that point, I thought, you know, in 1987, I got it figured out. I understand it. I've got, I've got the life of Yeshua. I've got, you know, I mean, it was, it was just as clear as day. And then to be able to, to be in the journey that all of us are on, um, where you come to a place where you realize there's more, or there's some other aspect that you need to deal with. And again, the focus for me was this. I, I heard something on um, on 60 Minutes one time where they said that most preachers uh, preach from the epistles. And so, and they went on to say they did a survey and they said that, um, that basically most preachers stay away from the words of Jesus because they're too radical. Instead, they go to Paul who gives the explanation or the theological explanation for what Yeshua's life was. And, and, and for me, that was really saddening. So when Nehemiah uh, came to me, um, I, I, I may, folks haven't heard this story. Um, if you don't know, Nehemiah is Jewish. I come from a Christian background, and we had decided to do some uh, study together. I'd asked him to help me to better understand my Hebrew Bible so I could read it for myself, et cetera. We went through this long process, and he said, listen, I've got some rules. And, uh, and, and, and really, there were two rules that he, that he brought up that were really significant. One, uh, no, no attempt to convert. You don't try to convert me. I don't try to convert you. Number two. None of that Jesus stuff. None of that. Uh, none of that New Testament stuff, Scott. He said none of that. And then he calls me and he whispers and he says, uh, uh, "Keith, I'd like to change one of the rules." And I'm thinking, <laughs> which one? Either one, I win. He wants to get converted, <laughs> or he wants to talk about Yeshua. Which one? <laughs> and, and he said, "I'd like to study the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew with you, according to this ancient manuscript." And and again, that's been for years. The reason I'm bringing this up is that between what we've done and what Michael has done. You know, it's almost like that during this pandemic, we're in a special dispensation. It's like, it's almost like, it, it, you know, I've begged Nehemiah for years and years and years, bring him out of the vault, bring him out of the vault. No, I'm too busy. I'm working on this one. And he has working on some really, really important things. Can I make a plug? He and Michael did a show. And I, I, I hate that I don't know the title, but I've watched it. It was called The Ancient Bible something. Can you help me with it, Scott? What was it called? Oh, yeah, it was part of the series from the Messianic Prophecies. It was one of the, yes. we, we titled one of the, the episodes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Something about the ancient Bible. Res resurrecting the ancient Bible. Exactly. Resurrecting the ancient Bible. I watched it, Scott. After I got done, I called Nehemiah. Because, you know, he doesn't watch this stuff. I don't. People probably don't know this. I'll say, Nehemiah, you said such, and he says, what are you talking about? This was amazing. I, I didn't watch it. I said, make you and your wife sit down and watch it. Why did I say that? Because what Michael did is he got Nehemiah to bring to the to the surface, really, the understanding of, of this book that we call the Bible. He's done the same thing with this, these New Testament manuscripts. So what I want to say is this. Michael did something, has been working on it for years and years and years, decades, the chronological gospels. I really encourage people. Uh, I don't know what you guys have. You guys are always coming up with something in ways of, of what, what's available with the chronological gospels. But I really encourage people to get that. If you take the chronological gospels, you take what we're doing with Hebrew gospel pearls. You bring all this information together. You read a prayer to our father. You read the Greek Jesus uh, uh, versus the Hebrew Yeshua. And what you're getting a chance to do is to call what I say, instead of listening to the radio, you get to watch HDTV. You get to watch Yeshua's life in HD. HDTV, because we're bringing all of these aspects together. And Nehemiah, I don't know if we have time to do this, but could you just do one thing for folks? Uh, Scott, here's the book that most people, a lot of people know, the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. This is George Howard's book. He had nine manuscripts. 
Nehemiah has found 28 manuscripts. When I look in this book, which I did a whole series on the red letter, red letter uh, series uh, on Yeshua, I'm, I'm just using this manuscript. Now Nehemiah comes to the table and he says, look, there are 28 manuscripts and 20 of them deal with this section. I find something right away. Can we go to the first verse, Nehemiah? Would you just would you just go to Matthew chapter five, mm-hmm. verse three, Scott? Do we have time to do this? I want I want so, people to understand. So before we get to five three, I want to I want to bring something to Matthew. To the first verse. Hold can, on. Can, can we, we do something before that? Verse. Huh? Can we do something before we get to five three? No, no. I got I got to get this in. I got to get this. Oh, okay. In. <laughs> Listen. All right then, <laughs> Scott. We get to the first verse, yeah. and in Howard's book, there's parentheses. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I say to myself, wait, there's parentheses. Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Why are there parentheses? And is there a difference that we have in terms of what you have access to? Now, would you please let people know just a little bit about the significance yeah. of that? Um, and is that 5-3 if, is that you're talking about? Or yes. I think it's in 5-4, the, the big issue there. No, 5-3 is the one where there's parentheses. Okay, so tell me what you're referring to there. Blessed are the low-spirited, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Okay. And remind me what the issue is there. So, okay. so George Howard, let me. So I tried to give him the softball. He doesn't want to hit the softball, <laughs> Scott. So I'll have to take another couple minutes. So when we open up George Howard, George Howard's main manuscript doesn't have this verse. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Really? I, I got you. Okay, well, that's so, news to me. Now, so stop so, one second. Yeah. Since, since he gave me the minute, can I just take one more minute? Go ahead. Yeah. There's another significant thing that we're doing that up until this time, people have not had access to. Nehemiah has found a way to get the manuscript itself, the Hebrew that's there that's unpointed. He's actually gone to an expert in Israel and got the manuscript pointed so that there are mm-hmm. vowel points there. That helps in terms of reading. Um, and so the, but the point is that he's got he's got manuscripts, more than one, that have five. Well, so, so, all right. so, so in this verse, George Howard looked at nine manuscripts and he had one lone manuscript that had verse three. And the other eight manuscripts did not have verse three. Hmm. And so he puts a little note in his, it's called, what's called a critical apparatus. He records a little note that verse three is in this manuscript in Leiden and um, in Holland. And I go look at all the 20 manuscripts that were preserved on this section. There's 28 overall, but for this particular verse or this section, there are 20, 20 manuscripts. And I find it's true that manuscript A has it, what he calls manuscript A, the manuscript from Leiden, but I find an additional six manuscripts that have it. Mm-hmm. So now we've got, instead of one manuscript, it's seven. So yes. seven manuscripts have it. And what I found is we have these two families, I call them uh, Group A and Group B manuscripts. Group, and because A is in, actually in Group A, <laughs> the one from Leiden. So there's the Leiden family or the Group A family and there's the Group B family. And it's not just this one verse that all the Group A manuscripts agree about and uh, and the lack of this verse that all the Group B manuscripts, it's other things as well. And that's what I actually wanted to get to, which is in verse four. Can I give him that, Keith? But be- absolutely. Before I get to that, let, let's back up a little bit. So Shem Tov was this rabbi who in the year 1380 uh, copies the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew as part of a larger work that he wrote called Evan Bochan. Uh, we don't have the original mascu- um, manuscript that Shem Tov himself wrote in 1380. We have copies of copies of copies, and that's what the 28 are. Mm. Um, among the 28, some of those are, um, there's uh, at least two of them, for example, that are um, what are called epitomies or they're abbreviations, right? They only bring what they consider to be the important parts. Um, 
or the important sections. Um, so you have um, these different witnesses to uh, the Shem tells Matthew, and those fall into two categories, group, what I call group A and group B. And so the group A manuscripts have verse three, the group B manuscripts don't. Um, then we get to verse four, and we find the group, uh, all, all the manuscripts, both, or I should say group, both group A and group B have verse four, but, the, but um, some of the manuscripts don't have verse five. Oh. And so the group A manuscripts have verse five, the group B manuscripts don't have verse five. And then when the group A manuscripts have verse five, it's before verse four. So it grows verse uh, one, two, they all have one and two, right? One, two, uh, three, five, four in some of the manuscripts, right? <laughs> now, why would this happen? This is a, a classic thing known in the study of, of manuscripts is when something is missing from a, a, a family of manuscripts and another family has it, what you, and you have a famous example is the, the, sh, the, the short ending and the long ending of Mark. Right? If you look at modern translations, there's a whole section at the end of Mark in brackets, and they'll mm-hmm. say that some manuscripts don't have this. Mm. So mm. what tends to happen when you have a verse like that or a section is somebody writes it in the margin. And the next scribe comes along and copies it. He doesn't know where to put it, right? Mm. He doesn't know exactly where to put it. He knows it's somewhere on that line. So he puts verse, in this case, verse 4 after verse 5. Mm-hmm. So George Howard had hypothesized. We didn't discover Hebrew Matthew. People are like, how did you discover Hebrew Matthew, Nehemiah? Were you in a cave somewhere? No, George Howard... <laughs> In 1987, published a book called the Hebrew Gospel, or originally it was called the Gospel of Matthew according to a primitive Hebrew text. It was later revised in 1995, the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, which is, I suppose, a much better marketing title. But I like the original title better. And he had an hypothesis. He looked at all the different manuscripts of Shem Tov's Hebrew Matthew, which were copies of the, of the original from 1380, of this original copy, right? Um, copies of copies of the copy. And he said that if you look at some of them, they're very different from the Greek, and then you look at other ones and they're very similar to the Greek. And how do you explain this? And his explanation was that the original manuscript that Shem Tov had copied from some other source that we don't know, right? He's copying a Hebrew version that existed in the Jewish community, uh, that the original one of Shem Tov that he copied was very different from the Greek. And then mm-hmm. over time, there's a process of what he called assimilation. They would have people reading, and as they read, they said, well, wait a minute, where's verse 3? I know verse 3 is supposed to be there because I've read it in the Greek, or I read it in the Latin, or I read it in some other Hebrew version. And mm-hmm. so what do you do? Okay, I'll retranslate it, right? That, so there was a process of assimilating the Hebrew Matthew to match the Greek. Right? Mm-hmm. We see this in manuscripts all the time. We just did a series about Torah scrolls, and we saw examples of that. So this happens even in the Old Testament in the Tanakh that there's this official version, in the case of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, it's the Ben Asher uh, Codex, the type, what's called the Tiberian Masoretic Text. We have a text that's different, we gotta make it fit. How do we make it fit? We change it, right? <laughs> now, sometimes when you change it, you're actually fixing it. Sometimes when you change it, you're breaking it, right? You're, you're, you have something that you think is the correct form, and you're changing the text. This is what's called textual criticism. Mm-hmm. So, um, the hypothesis Howard had is that the original Hebrew Matthew was very different from the Greek, and over time it was made more and more similar. That was a theory, it was an hypothesis, whatever you want to call it. He didn't have definitive proof. Keith and I found the smoking gun. Ah. So let me show you the smoking gun, and this is, and we'll get to one in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, but this is one that isn't even that important in a sense, right? It's not some crucial verse, 
right? At least from my perspective. It's Matthew chapter two, verse 16. It says in Azra Hodus, this is talking about how um, the um, uh, Magi had uh, gone to Herod and then they go to Bethlehem and then he feels like he's been deceived by them because they don't come back and tell him where they found the Messiah. And then Herod saw, and then in some manuscripts of Hebrew Matthew, it says, that the Magi deceived him, which is hmm. virtually identical what you have in the Greek. So no big revelation here in the Hebrew, exactly what you'd expect, except some manuscripts of Hebrew Matthew have, then Herod saw, that the Magi saw him, what does that mean, they saw him? Maybe they saw him for what he was. We come up with all kinds of clever explanations, right? Mm-hmm. right? Then Herod saw it, the Magi saw him. That's bizarre, a little bit strange. So what happened? So to me, studying the Hebrew text, it's obvious what happened. The Aleph and the Mem, the two letters that are different between those two versions, are graphically very similar. And there was a okay. scribe who was copying, and instead of copying a Mem that they deceived him, he copied by mistake, the letter Aleph, that they saw him. Okay, no question that that's what happened between the different Hebrew Matthew manuscripts. Here's the real, and this isn't a big discovery either. Here's the big discovery. I found a manuscript that George Howard didn't know about. And let's back up. So there's the group A and the group B. So the group, uh, I think it's the group A manuscripts in this case, one of the groups has, instead of the word Sherimu that they deceived him, a completely different Hebrew word. Shala'agu, they hmm. scoffed at him. Mm-hmm. So, so hmm. what's going on here? This is very strange. One group has they deceived him, one has they scoffed at him. And one of those is originally what, what Shem Tov copied and one is not, right? Which one is? I don't know, right? I'm trying to find out. Um, one of those is closer to the Greek. Um, the, that they deceived is really closer to the, is really more dissimilar to the Greek and the, uh, they scoffed at him that fits the Greek and it fits the Latin really well, especially. So what I found is the smoking gun. It's a manuscript of Shem Tov's Hebrew Matthew that Howard didn't know about, in which a scribe came along and it said, then Herod saw that the Magi saw him, took a pen, crossed out the word saw, and above it wrote, scoffed at. So Howard, and I can show you this here up on the screen. We'll show you, I put a, Red box around it, you can see it says the word shera'u, that they saw, and it was changed to that they scoffed. So originally hmm. it said that they deceived. Somebody said, well, wait a minute, they deceived. It's supposed to be they scoffed. That's what we have in our Latin. That's what we have in, in the Greek has that sense as well. And they changed it. And here you can see the actual manuscript where it was changed. Hmm. And in addition, so we had actually three stages. It originally said that they deceived, it was accidentally changed to that they saw. And then somebody said that they saw doesn't make sense, so they changed it to a different Hebrew word that they scoffed. And that, that was a theory up until now. That was Howard's theory. We have now have the smoking gun, the manuscript where it was done. Wow. Which now is, it's the missing link. It's a type of thing you can't even hope for in textual studies, and we found it. Go ahead. Hey, let, let me say this. This is why I think this is significant. Um, Nehemiah, as a Jewish scholar, is giving a gift to to people who would would say, you know, I mean, it's not the same belief, it's not the same, but yet it's access to information that they wouldn't have. The person who did the pointing, 
a Jewish man in Israel who takes the point, he puts the vowel points in there. Michael asked for something, Scott, and I, I want to just make sure that we get this in before we get to the end of this. Michael asked, Keith, is there an interlinear that would take the Hebrew with the pointing and the English? And what we've done is we've done that. So I want to make sure that for the biblical Beatitudes, people know they can have access to that because that will allow them to study along with us. Nehemiah has come up with this great system where we have a public version and a plus version. And maybe you can talk about that. But what this will allow people to do, Scott, is to read along with us to see we have an tr- English translation, the NASB. We have the Hebrew there with the, with the vowel pointing and then an interlinear that gives you the English word connected mm-hmm. to the Hebrew and then a translation, which I call the KJV. Ready for this? Drum roll, please. <laughs> the Keith Johnson version. Based <laughs> on what we have. So I want to make sure that they know that they have that. And Nehemiah, please let them know about how, the, how we go yeah, deeper. So, in, so in what we're doing is we're really, like Keith said, we're going kind of in depth uh, on some of these things. And, and that's just like a taste of the type of thing that we're finding, that yeah. we look at the text and we're like, okay, uh, George Howard has something in parentheses. What's the story behind that? There's a whole story exactly. behind that. Mm. Right? There's a whole uh, um, textual history behind that. And we're sharing that with people, letting them decide for themselves um, um, you know, what, what you want to do with these pearls, right? And so what we did is we're doing an, um, an episode in each section. And in this case, we've slowed down and done on each beatitude. Uh, we do what we call Hebrew Gospel Pearls on NehemiahsWall.com and BFAInternational.com. And then we also have what we call Hebrew Gospel Pearls Plus. For those who want to go a little bit deeper, get a little bit more information, for those who support my ministry and become part of BFAInternational.com, they've got the Hebrew Gospel Pearls Plus. And we have people who just listen to the Plus, people who just listen to the, the, the non-Plus episode, the public episode, and, you know, that's fine. Um, there's a lot of information there. It's It's... You know, sometimes it's, it's Keith calls it the fire hose. That you turn on the fire hose. And <laughs> you got to put just, on a hard hat, Scott. <laughs> yeah, sounds Just like a fire it. hose of information, trying to drink from it. Um, there's another example I just want to bring really quick. We have like a minute left. I, I can't even bring it. There, there's this one in the Beatitudes, which is so cool, where some manuscripts have blessed are those who wait, and others have blessed are those who weep, and the Greek has blessed are those who mourn. And we have the smoking gun that we share in the Hebrew Gospel Pearls, where a scribe came along and actually changed it. We can see in the manuscript that he changed it. For <laughs> blessed are those who wait, to blessed are those who weep. So up until now it was, okay, we're inferring this happened. It was an hypothesis, a theory that happened. I have the smoking gun where you can actually see the scribe changed it from one mm-hmm. to the other. This is cutting edge stuff, Scott. It's exciting stuff that I am so blessed that I've had the opportunity to do this in the Hebrew Gospel Pearls. And you know, I, I, and I, I get to cheat because I can see it right here, but we're not yeah. going to show it. You guys have to go yeah, and yeah. see it for yourselves. But this yeah. is great. And the best part is, like you've just, both of you said, this doesn't change anyone's faith. It adds to it. Like you said, Keith, it opens the door, turns radio into HD television, as it were, yes. to understand these things better and see Yeshua deeper, enter his, his time and his culture and... See what he said, and then it just all seems to make sense. And that's what we want to do is make this, the words of Yeshua make sense. And Amen. so I want to thank you both for doing what you do. Thank you. And thank, uh, you, thank so you for much. being here on Shabbat Night Live Thanks for the series. All right, and thank you for joining us. And again, thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. And I encourage you to support BFA International and for supporting uh, NehemiahsWall.com and, uh, and watching the Hebrew pearls uh, with these guys. It's a great stuff. I encourage you to get it. And uh, we'll see you next time on Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Tov.